people might be attracted to this work because it looks sexy, right? But this work is realm work. You, it, it requires a lot of sweat equity. Welcome to the Under the Sycamore Tree podcast. I'm your host, Carla Moore of Mortart JE, and we are delighted to invite you to our yard to hold space under the sycamore tree with one another for this episode, Language and Leadership. In this episode, we will bring you a very full conversation I hosted with two organizers working across the region. We day up on the veranda. You day up on the veranda. Put me a hand to your mind. Cut up your foot. And make about good time. First is Michelle Irving, founder and coordinator of POWER, or Productive Organization for Women in Action, out of Dan Grigor in southern Belize. POWER advocates for the rights of women and girls to live lives free from violence, exploitation, and abuse. Its members are certified peer counselors and provide outreach to communities to raise awareness on human rights, sexual reproductive health rights, gender-based violence, HIV AIDS, and the gender inequalities affecting women and girls. Next is Dillis McDonald, Project Coordinator for CIWIL, the Caribbean Institute of Women in Leadership based in Antigua and Barbuda. CIWIL is a non-political, multi-partisan, and independent organization founded in 2005 to monitor, strengthen, and increase women's political participation and leadership in the Caribbean. The organization aims to increase the number of women in politics, leadership, and decision-making at all levels in the Caribbean through high-quality training, networking, research, analysis, and advocacy. CIWIL acts as a coordinating and implementing mechanism for a regional program at work developed and delivered by a network of organizations and individuals to advance women's transformational leadership. We'll be discussing topics that some listeners may find triggering, including sex work, child sexual abuse, and domestic violence. We understand that these topics can be difficult to hear about and we want to remind our listeners that it's okay to take a break if you need to. I led this conversation in mid-2022 and boy, let me tell you, it is a full and juicy one. You know, I have my comments and my little context on so give each episode, but baby, I'm going to keep them to a minimum for the one year. What is so rich about this episode is just how deep Michelle and Dillis take this portal into leadership. We cover definitions of leadership, building leadership within communities, language and translating feminist work into a Caribbean context, youth and elders in leadership, and much, much, much more. This was another one of our conversations which lasted for nearly two hours. When Michelle said, with a talk, with a talk. A most surprising aspect of this portal as conversation, or perhaps conversation as portal, is how Michelle and Dillis work through language, specifically the labels they and their communities claim. Alright, make we stop with the Goron Comron now. We're talking about feminism. This podcast gives us an interesting vantage point, and from where we sit, we notice something that might already be obvious to all of the Caribbean folks listening. 
or queer organizations had no qualms about naming and claiming their queerness. The feminists, on the other hand, not so much. Again, not that these groups are mutually exclusive, but the groups whose primary approach to organizing is feminist or based around women's empowerment, they were less keen on claiming that label, feminism. And it really made me wonder why. So, let us take up the fundamentals again. Let us take language and leadership seriously. Dive deeply into this portal as I humbly guide you alongside Dillis and Michelle. Dillis and Michelle, I am so happy to have you here for this conversation this morning. How are you? Pleasure. Pleasure. All is good. All is good, Pearl. I'm happy to be here too. So, today we're talking about leadership. And leadership is one of those things that I find that there are many definitions of leadership. There are many approaches to leadership. So I would love to hear from both of you about your definition of leadership and how did you come to that definition of leadership? I don't know if there's anybody who wants to talk first. Leadership is about positive influence. I think often we get stuck in theoretical or, you know, really grand uh, definitions or constructs of leadership. But uh, for me, leadership can be varied. It happens at many levels in different spaces. And uh, it's about the positive influence or the positive or the influence that results in some positive change. Um, and as I reflect in particular on women's leadership, I think we've always been doing that. I definitely agree with everything that you said, Janice. And I think that um, for me, leadership is that so much what you think about yourself, maybe a little bit, but what others think about what others think about you, how you are able to to walk in such a way that women girls men boys say you know what i can walk in in that person footstep or i could walk beside that person or i could listen to that person so i think leadership is not this um top down um approach that you put yourself in a in a position that you are higher or you're more influential or you are you are better educated or you're better you know you're better served to make decisions for others i think leadership natural leadership just come from the way you you way you be and the way how you're able to walk side by side with others so in in being a leader you're also a follower oh i love this so it's about positive influence it's about walking side by side it's about living how you be in such a way that people understand that they can do it too so what are then some of the approaches that your organizations take to building your community and to building these leaders that are in your community? Um, for, for, for us, for us at Power, I think um, one of the approach is, is being humble, humility for so that others can can see their their true self because i think a lot of times because of the way we view the 
terms and the way we are socialized and, and I think some of this um, negatively affect especially women and girls they sometimes are a bit shy or hesitant or or want to stick in their shell because they don't want to make mistakes the organization or our organization you know lift each other up we're all learning and and some of us may have learned some things before someone else uh, but our ability to share uh, in the different spaces and the different things that we have learned um, is important. Yeah. And we learn so much from each other. I think that's that's one of the, it's a source of power. I think, you know, when Michelle was speaking, one of the reflections that I had is about in our recent conversation around the usage of this term and experts, you know, we hear about the gender experts, uh, you know, development experts and all of that. So, and, and it's striking that Michelle is talking about the richness that exists within the community that those experts then come to, right? So, you know, it always makes a clear reflect on who exactly is the expert, you know, because if the external person is the expert, the people whose experiences are really teaching the experts value experts so i like to throw the word inputs right uh, uh michelle's women in in that community who are really dearly you know transforming growing developing in sisterhood you know um and improving their day-to-day reality but anyway that's probably for another podcast no it's um, for this podcast <laughs> it is for this one <laughs> I want me to take it to work to hear it because this thing of inputs, experts and inputs, I, I love that idea that why somebody external always the, the one who knows the most, you know, like who going to know more than the people living the thing. Yeah, we may not know exactly how to unpack it, but we know, we know, so work with us. Right, and cause on us, right? Right, and and sometimes it's just about, it's you know, it's we. And I was saying this the other day, you know, when we we are working, we don't know some of these words. For example, we don't know, you know, um, advocacy. We don't know uh, different terms that you know. Now we come to know them, but you know, we may not know them. But that doesn't mean we we don't understand or we don't uh, live them. We don't live them exactly. Those are lived experiences, and our language may not be such because you know we have different language, and so um, how do we then um, um, value what we have, our language, our culture, our our experiences, our natural spaces that we live in, and how do we value that and not say that someone who comes from you know a different a different space or a different language or a different uh, a different look uh, is better than or no more than and so um, how do we then um, you know have that confidence in ourselves to know that we are experts in the lives that we live from the civil side one of the um, approaches that we use a lot is around capacity building in the area of transformation or leadership so you know, taking a more um, person-centered leadership um, approach in that we want persons 
not only to focus on the title of leadership or the elevated space of leadership. So you become an MP or you become a councillor, you become, you know, president, but that you are using an approach that is people-centered. First of all, it requires you to do the work, right? Do the mirror work, do the reflection and the introspection that helps you to reflect on why you're doing what you're doing. You're not doing what you're doing. Um, certainly to just increase the numbers of women in, in decision-making spaces, but you're doing what you're doing to facilitate change that will benefit persons who have otherwise not benefited, um, you know, been left out of critical spaces or whose perspectives and voices are not heard, right? Um, it's uh, centered on ethics. It's centered on, um, you know, recognizing the value in each other. Like in the first two minutes, it's that, that top down thing, mm -mm. that, mm -mm, that not serving anybody that got to go. And I love that point about language, right? Who, who is defining us? Who is defining us and, and from what perspective? And so. I'd actually like to ask a question about that language, which is when we're doing work in the Caribbean, especially work around women and, you know, femmes, we will get language like, you know, feminist, it's a feminist organization, it's feminist work, it's feminist organizing, depending on the groups you're serving there, you know, the term queer has become more popular as a descriptor for certain types of organizing. How does your, how do the communities that you serve feel about that type of language in terms of, in particular, like the use of the term feminist? Are the folks that you serve comfortable identifying as feminists? What are the tensions? How would they prefer to be identified? I, I, I want to take a, a stab at that. I think that I, I will divide it in two, um, in two. I feel that uh, personally, I, I describe myself as a feminist, a womanist. You know, I, I, I walk between different, you know, intersectional feminists, um, black feminists, Caribbean feminists, socialist feminists, different, different, uh, different um, description. And I think I have the liberty to do so for myself and, and the way I'm thinking and, and what I use to, to deconstruct my world. Yes. However, I am also very much aware that other women, other groups may not have the experiences that I have had to be able to come to the conclusion or the understanding or the, or the label that I want to give, um, that I choose to give myself. Yes. This is not saying that they are not, um, they are not using all the principles of feminism. They're not understanding um, those aspects. They're not living a feminist life. They're actually, sometimes you don't have to call something because you, you, you are that something. That's, that's your very being. And so um, for us, I, I, I um, I'm, I'm, I have experience, and this is a rich Caribbean experience again, to work on with indigenous groups, uh, both the Garifuna and the Maya, for example, who have their own language and culture and it's quite 
it's it it, it in some ways um there, there is a lot of retention of um you know traditional norms and practices yeah and so um and and, and both traditional in the sense of of some of the african and some of the indigenous caribbean uh, retention um from from way back and you could actually see some of the manifestation of of feminisms in 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 the expression cultural expressions of dance and song and and rituals that are are you know for women and that for women by women to support women um they don't say well this is a feminist dance it's a, a all women dance that is fate where rent store ancestors or, or whatever it is or this is how we support each other yeah. but you could see that that is that's what's happening we spoke with some of the indigenous groups and one of the things that they said very clearly is this idea of translation <clears throat> sorry you know like who needs to be translated and what needs to be translated and i feel like what you said there is that like do we need to take your all women dancing and say translate it as this is a feminist women's circle you know why do we need feel like we need to do that in order for it to make sense that we need to perhaps consider deconstructing feminism and constructing our own indigenous uh, um caribbean feminism that allows you know a broader cross-section of women you know at all levels of society to, to want to be you know associated with what we hold there to you know, and the things that excite us about labeling ourselves feminist. But for me, more important than the label is living the principle because it's so easy to pick up a label, you know? Um, but if any time you scratch beneath the surface of that label and I am not living the principle, then I only do harm to the movement, you know, and, and to the others all those people mission described who are looking on uh you know they then begin to say well no this is not what i want to be if you know i say i'm feminist but you know in my actions i'm a patriarchal feminist then all i do is to really really undermine you know the work as well as the understanding of others who are looking on Let's let's take a little break here and take a deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. What comes up for you when you hear the word feminist and feminism? Is it singular or plural? Does it have a race, a voice, an ethic? Or is it more of a regime forcing conformity? What is in your body, your mind, your heart and spirit as you contemplate these things? Does this change how you think about your country or region or diaspora or independence about yourself and your visions? There's another thing on our mind. Well, it's not one of our minds. Our writer and researcher Jackie is from the U.S. of Jamaican heritage. You heard from her in one of our previous episodes, The Kids May Not Be Okay. 
And here she is. So Jackie, what's your question around Caribbean feminism? Hey, Carla, I'm happy to be back on the podcast in audio version. Um, and my question is, what about womanisms? Where I'm from in the U.S. South, but also as a Black woman, womanism seems to be more popular than even Black feminism amongst my people. Uh, so is womanism something that has traction in the Caribbean? Do people know what womanism is? Does it feel like a better version to deal with since feminism doesn't feel accessible either? Yeah, um, that's a great question. It's a question that I ask as well. I've found from my experience that people who identify as womanists are uh, a lot of times people who either encountered it in an academic setting, like they may have done a gender studies course and they were introduced to womanism that way, or they're affiliated with like a we change or, you know, some type of feminist organization and then they've encountered womanism there but in terms of like the general conversations that you'll hear i don't hear womanism coming up a lot in the mainstream conversations about this type of this type of organizing and that's really interesting carla because for us in the u.s womanism comes out of literary studies or literature very famously from alice walker's in search of our mother's gardens but also from literary scholars such as Clonora Hudson-Weems and also um, sociology scholars such as Oyeronke Oyewumi, who you might know if you follow Alok Menon, the performance artist and comedian on Instagram, because they had a useful IG report on uh, Dr. Oyewumi's The Invention of Woman. Yeah. Uh, but then it's really built out um, the first an only womanist school of thought is built out through theology and religious studies. Um, and what it really tries to do is actually have an active, I guess, alternative yeah. to feminism that is built from blackness, from within blackness, from within black womanhood or black non-maleness. Yeah. Um, and it's one that accounts for all of the black community or tries to yeah um so i thought it was something that folks might be interested in um but dillis is the only person who we heard actually use the word womanist yeah woman of any of our feminist organizers yeah um so i think that there's this question that i ask myself or i it's something i say to myself all the time which is you know which type of black are you which can sound like something that's really polarizing and, and, and problematic. But what I'm trying to get at is the non-universality of the Black experience. And the one is that the experience of being Black in the Caribbean and being Black in the United States are, are very different. They're, they're, there's overlap, but there are also different tensions and politics that people have to navigate. And so then, then we need to think about how those currents of knowledge and community building are moving between black american women and black caribbean women that's exactly it and as those currents would have if womanism is one of those things that would have come across on the on the currents because i will hear people talk about caribbean feminism and it's one of those things that we research and we talk about and, and we work through but i have not heard anyone articulate something called caribbean womanism uh, yeah and either way whether we claim womanism and feminism or we don't claim a label at all 
I am. It's exactly that. I just want to have a conversation between Black American women and Caribbean women, or just generally intra-diasporic conversations, period. Because I feel like we can't always be mediated by whiteness. That's tiresome. Yeah, agreed. 100% agreed. Like, I really think that we need to start talking to each other as ourselves, for ourselves, and about ourselves. So let me ask you something. Who you ever hear about womanism before? If so, when you heard about it, what did you think about it? What do you think about it now? Like, what is your relationship to womanism? If not, are you intrigued by the idea of it? Do you find it useful? What does it mean for you to be in this region, in a space that is still impacted by coloniality, that is impacted by cultural imperialism, that is impacted by patriarchy. What does it mean to be and what, what do your communities need so that they can be themselves in the fullness of themselves? as we continue to work and um, try to deconstruct, um, you know, colonialism, slavery, neocolonialism, imperialism, and everything in between, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. We are so much, we are, we are up against the entire world, so to speak. Um, and especially if you're talking about indigenous communities, poor communities, rural communities, you know, women communities, women as farmers, um, looking at issues of, you know, climate change, um, climate change due to no fault of, of what we have been doing, our community have been doing. We have been guardians of the of the earth and 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 champions of the earth ever since. And um yet still we we will be impacted sometimes far worse than the exploiters and mm. so um yeah. and so it's a it's a huge it's a huge it's a huge task it's a huge task and if you don't really love humanity and love yourself and love your people you you start to become overwhelmed in thinking about the injustices you know in general i mean just the totality of injustice not not just um, inadequate laws in our communities, or inadequate protection, or inadequate healthcare, inadequate education, inadequate financial resources, um, but just the totality of the destruction as it relates to our society. That's a, that's the breath of leadership, right? To be a leader who just by walking and keeping a song in your heart teaches another person that keeping a song in your heart can be something that you do to, what is it you said? You said keep our sanity, our health, and our love for others alive. Just even that representation of singing can be a form of leadership. And it, it really just comes back to how you be, how you be, how you be. Thank you for that. 
to me, the reflection is about presence, right? Because so often we, you know, as we were reflecting earlier on the language, the other thing um, linked to that for me is how much we have just allowed others to define us. That, you know, we're either a wife or a mother, you know, or a, <laughs> a teacher or, yeah. Um, but, you know, now the reality that you can be anything as a woman is, you know, I think it, it you know, our generation and the generations coming, it's, it's clearest for them, you know, that women, you know, no longer have to subscribe to or be forced into specific definitions of, you know, well, predefined definitions of what they should be or could be or, yeah. And that, you know, continuing to be in this space allows us not only to be having the conversations around that, but to be living the examples of that. I'd like to ask you a question that's more personal, and it's what made you want to be, you know, go into leadership? Or is leadership something that just happened to you? And if there was somebody listening to this and they were about to enter, you know, a position of leadership in a Caribbean organization, what would you want to let them know? I would say it like this, it's the yin and the yang. It's the, it's the total work and it's the total joy. And so I, I, I can't see it say any other way. Sometimes well, it's like, you know, I, 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 I was up working from two this morning it, and having deadline to meet and, and, you know, drinking like 16 uh, cups of coffee and so and then you know looking forward to the flip side of that to say you know for you to be able to see you know what you what you have been able to achieve how you have been able to um reach deep into communities and and looking reflecting at, at, at where you have been for the past six months and 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 how many people you have met and how many lives you um have in some ways supported or in some ways uh people you have listened to or who have listened to you and so uh making your life experience that much richer that without without that reaching out you wouldn't have met this person or these persons or these you know these fisher folks or these youth uh from another culture from another village far far away and so um and so thinking about them and the positivity and their their experiences and how they are seeing life and how they are um navigating the world you know um gives you that much gives you that much more so for me the thing that uh kind of supported my going in this direction was always a commitment to serving others. Um, you know, ever since I was, and this is probably very cliche, but a girl guide, I have always kind of just wanted to, you know, be somebody who helped others, you know, do better, be better. Right. And over the many years, it's kind of translated into doing this 
you know, development work, right? So I think the first thing is that somebody needs to answer the question, is this your passion? Michelle, how has WVL supported you to work with your community? And if you were in a situation where there was no limitation on the funding available, what are the first two things that you would do? Like, what are the two first two things that you would move on to create like a meaningful change for your community? I would really talk about um, land ownership and um, um, sustainable wealth, wealth creation in terms of where people are able to sustain themselves, um, you know, uh, uh, without being very dependent on um, not having right to their basic needs, um, food, clothing, and shelter. And so those are some of the things that without, you know, it, it's a, to me, it's more a philosophical question because it's, you know, a funding organization would that be able to, to address that. But the funding organization gives opportunity for you to talk to people, to organize people, to mobilize people, to then be able to be empowered enough to approach those leaders that may be operating from the top down and that they're making policies for persons and then they could go and say, well, this is affecting me this way. That the WBL have done, um, already done for us that we, did, we didn't have before is to, to give some level of funding for um, the core organizational things that you need. I think some of, some of us take these things for granted. We would equate your organizational home with your very home. If you don't have a home where you could recharge, where you could think about, uh, you know, how you'll approach certain problems, where you could be safe from the elements, where you could be safe from harm, where you could love the ones that you love, you know. And the same thing goes for, for organizations. So, um, those things are important and sometimes they're not seen because sometimes they're not seen because it, it, it equates right back to um, women on paid labor, the things that we do in the home. All right. And so, uh, so, so when, when, when it is seen and it is supported, you know, to whatever level it is, yeah. at least you could point out and then say to others, see, this is what we have been able to, can you match this can you ensure that this also happens in in your space and in yourself so it gives us then once we had it it gives us the opportunity to kind of to kind of learn about it and then to kind of kind of demand it <laughs> so in regard to the support from wvl um the, one of the most impressive things to me about their approach is that they do genuinely embrace a feminist approach and so what that has allowed us to do is to support work around movement building right which is something that i think you know usually funders give you project funds and you must you know reach 10 people by 10 chairs etc etc but wvl allows us to do the critical work of investing in people and strengthening their capacity to be themselves, be change agents. If I had all the money that I needed in the world, 
I think my first investment would be safe spaces for women and children. Let's make time to check in as we begin to seal this conversation. What do you picture when you picture a leader? Do you picture yourself? And if so, what do you look like? What are you surrounded by? How have your life and your environment changed? What ethics do you expect of a leader, including yourself? Now, something juicy and fruity and full might just pop into your brain if you take another deep breath. And why don't you go ahead and write that down? Make a list. Because this thing, this leadership building that you're doing, it doesn't have to end here. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we are missing in the conversation that we're having about women and girls in the, in, in the Caribbean? And it could be from the conversation that our political leaders are having. It could be from the conversation media is having. It could be even the conversation that we're having among ourselves. What's the thing that we're overlooking that we really need to see? For me, one of the things we overlook is that we often equate women's presence with women's success or women's um, women having overcome. You know, so like when I have conversations with some of my male acquaintances and colleagues and so on, they often say, "What more do you want? We have a woman prime minister. We've had a woman. We have a woman president. You know, a woman in chief justice." etc etc um you know and they use those experiences or those highlights to kind of say well women are doing well you know you don't need anything more yeah. right but when we look below the surface of those things to the lived reality of significant sections of our society we understand better that this diverse basket of of womanhood right um, you know, we have diverse needs, we have um, different but similar experiences and often we present so well that we mask what our real needs are or we don't feel empowered enough to, to raise our voices. So even I had a conversation with a group of university students and they were like, you know, but four out of five of my lecturers are women, you know, you go to the um, public service, you know, we're out of government offices and most people there are women. Teachers, all of my teachers at school were women, etc, etc. So women are everywhere. What more, you know, do you want? But is that really translating into the fact that women are not in the leadership spaces, women are not decision making decisions. And so the decisions that are being made, they don't reflect or take into account the needs of women. I was in a session with some Caribbean people and the men were like, yes, um, we have, yes, people in Caribbean have gained gender equity and equality, you know, because women are everywhere. And yes, they are, they were so arguing that uh, in the Caribbean that has been gained and you couldn't convince them that that is not so because they have convinced themselves that women are doing well and women are okay. And they have even convinced themselves and some of us uh, women that it's the men that are not doing well and it's the men that we need to take care of now and women have had their turn and 
and that's it. They're they're fine. And um, I think that is a, a fallacy. It's not the reality. And so, um, you know, if we if we if we stop looking at, for example, just even the presence of women, or maybe even if we're talking about women in education, yes, they may be in school, they may be the teachers, but are they the ones um, with economic wealth in the society? And so, I think that in in some ways. You know, we are a, 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 it's may sound cliche, we're maybe a victim of some of our own successes because, you know, there are some, some women out there and, and doing, doing, doing a good job of it. But however, there are many, many, uh, uh women that are left behind and it, it kind of reminds us of like racism and, and privilege and, and that sense, you know, where, um, where you see a few people, um, you know, that may not be the ruling class. Uh, are in positions uh, sometimes not even real positions of power but pseudo pseudo positions of power but nonetheless they're there um and um and then everybody's saying well you know they're okay they have a right but the mass majority of those people are are not there they don't have the privilege they don't have the they don't have the wealth they don't have the historical um access to to, to what is needed and so um, those things are, are true for, for gender equity and equality as well. Uh, when we look at spending on security, national security in our country, so it's a spending on education and social sector, investments, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, we're getting it very wrong. We're getting it very wrong. We don't understand that. If we invest in our people, then we would need to depend less on preserves. Throughout this conversation, both of you have spoken from what feels like such a space of love and care for your communities, not just, I am a leader, I am in leadership. Like this matter to me, the, 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 the well-being of the people in my community deeply, deeply, deeply matter to me. I see myself in this community. I just, it's, it feels like it coming from a place that's so heart filled. I appreciate of you so much for joining us in this portal, exploring language and leadership activated by Delis and Michelle along with their organizations, Sewell and Power, respectively. Let us continue to ponder their provocations. What is the work of feminism? Does it actually support us? Or are we putting that label to work to attract resources and attention? Let us seal this episode by turning again to Colin Robinson, our ancestral guide hear his echo, this time from another interview with Vernon Rameswar, coming to us from Trinidad and Tobago's IETV Channel One program, One on One. This interview originally aired in the early part of the 2010s. Hello, Vernon. Hello, Michelle. I, I'm not sure the politicians share that vision. They're really afraid because there's some loud, often religious voices 
that are often 10 years behind where the public is. And they tend to listen more to those voices than to the actual constituents. I wish, you know, we've been trying very hard and with some success to share some of those broader voices. Um, the media has been helpful in some regards. In some instances, they've just not been interested in the stories. And so I want to thank you. I want to thank you both for taking the space and for the work that you do and for showing up here as your your whole self, the organizational self and you as you to allow us to meet you, to bring your community to us and to share that wisdom that you have given. I am so grateful for this conversation. I'm so, I'm so thankful to both of you for joining us. Thank you so much, Carla. It's been a pleasure as well. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. And thank you, Dennis. It was so nice being in this space together. I, I really enjoy this conversation. It's really very, very positive. So big up, sisters. Yeah. Connect with the organizations we've covered in this episode. See our show notes to learn how you can find Sewill and Power on the web and on social media. Like, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It truly does help. And we want to feel like a love. So love we know. This episode was produced by Rebel Women Lit and Queerly Stated, with support from Australia Lesbian Foundation for Justice, Equality Fund, and Global Affairs Canada. Research and writing by Jackie Brown, script editing and project management by Dave Ann Moses, editing and sound by Jorraine Patmore and Sophia Chenier, and outreach by Ashley Daly. Remember to head on over to the show notes to find the details of the organizers featured in our episode and rebelwomenlit.com for additional references. Thank you so much for joining me, your host, Carla Moore, under the sycamore tree.